What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Human. We're doing our part, social distancing, but we want to keep these podcasts coming out. We got Chris Lieben. Chris, great connecting with you, man. I literally, I'm sure you've heard this all the time, but I grew up watching you, man. The first season of Ultimate Fighter, you made that show. You made that show good. Um, then you went on Thanks, to have a, a great career fighting legends of the sports in UFC. And now, uh, now you're doing what I, I think is one of the most brutal and respectable uh, fighting styles now, which is bare knuckle boxing. I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about that. But how did first I want to ask, how did you get started with fighting? Like, when did you realize that you had a passion for combat? Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I started boxing in middle school initially, and it was kind of a weird thing because all my friends were skateboarders. Um, there was really no reason, looking back, for me to want to catch the bus across town to box. Um, but but even back then, you know, I had it. And my friends, that uh, some of them are still my friends now from middle school. You know, I was into the UFC, and you know, I was saying in middle school that's what I wanted to do, even before I'd ever trained a day in my life. So you know, went from from boxing in, in uh, middle school to uh, to wrestling through high school. And, uh, you know, just kept going with it, man. I mean, for, for me, I think, too, you know, when I when I made the switch to MMA, you know, at that young age, you know, I wanted to uh, I wanted to be somebody. I wanted to be something, you know what I mean? And, and really, all my future had planned for me was uh, maybe working at, at a gas station in a bag of crystal meth. You know, that's where most of my family went. So, you know. Um, as soon as I won that, that first fight, my first amateur fight, I was fully hooked. You know, people cheered for me. People knew my name. I mean, and uh, as a 20-year-old as a kid, you know, that, that getting that notoriety and stuff was huge. And, and you did a, a quick thing with the military. You, you, you joined under the false pretenses that you were going to be allowed to continue wrestling and they, they, they lied to you about that right and and then um and then you weren't you you, you went AWOL you went I had to an absence without leave and did you ever get into trouble from that because I remember hearing yeah I went to uh I went to military jail you know uh, that's what happens when you do that uh definitely uh you know hindsight's 2020 nothing something I'm definitely not proud of you know uh but, you know, at that young age, I had a couple of colleges approach me about wrestling. But uh, coming in, graduating high school, um, I still couldn't read. I couldn't read at all when I graduated high school. Um, you know, and I was told I'd never be able to read, which turns out wasn't true at all. I just needed uh, to have the proper motivation. So long story short, back when MySpace came out, uh, I learned how to read trying to get laid on MySpace. You know, all of a sudden... Uh, <laughs> learned how to read and spell, you know, I just needed, I just needed the proper motivation. But anyways, that being said, uh, you know, um, my recruiter told me, you know, they came, they, they watched me and, and, and believing that I got the letters from, from colleges saying they were interested in me. You know, I, I assumed that that was true with the military, but what happened is I went, uh, I did really good. I, I, I had a 300 PT score. I shot expert, you know, going through basic training and then AIT. And so, um, out of like 380 people, I was one of five selected to go to, uh, airborne. So I went to airborne school, which for my MOS is rare. 
and uh, I did well there too. And I got sent to the 82nd Airborne. Um, and when I got sent there, I told my first sergeant, "That's great, awesome." Now, when when do I apply for the wrestling team? He's like, "Hey, look, we're understaffed. You know, I, I don't want you're not. I'm not even gonna let you try out. Hmm. You know, so uh, that's you know that's just how the military works. They can, <laughs> you know, they tell you what you're gonna do. You don't get a pick. Um, so." You know, one day I uh, I loaded up my car and uh, I drove from uh, from North Carolina uh, to Portland, Oregon. You know, and uh, that was that. I ended up going to visit some friends who were going to the University of Oregon for the Civil War game. That's when the Ducks play the Beavers. It's a big deal. Ended up getting in a frat fight, got arrested, um, and then uh, got thrown in jail. Spent you know spent a week in jail down there. Got out of jail. They let me out on my own. They they gave me a pl- airplane ticket and they said, "Listen, go have Thanksgiving with your family. Um, you need to turn yourself into jail in uh, Oklahoma. Uh, you know, in like 20 days." Uh, long story short, that was maybe one of the drunkest I've ever been. <laughs> was uh, was showing up to turn myself into jail there. You know, but uh, but I did it. Spent a couple weeks uh, at Fort Sill in military jail and. Uh, I'll tell you what, the um, the rules are not the same between regular jail and military jail. I've been to both. You don't want to go to military jail. It's no fun. That bad, huh? Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> That's a crazy story. And you have a lot, I, I, you know, a, a lot of, of your crazy stories seem to a lot of times involve alcohol. And from reading your book, The Crippler, which, by the way, I would highly recommend people to read. Uh, because it's so such an honest book about both your career in, in fighting, but you know your 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 struggles outside of the cage. And, and uh, I, I was telling Shane before before you know that you got some crazy stories when Boss Rutan says he's got some crazy. Yeah, <laughs> um, very true. And you you fought in the UFC, hungover. Yeah, yeah. What fight? Yeah, probably probably not not a good idea. Um, well, when I fought Patrick Cote, uh, I, I you know I went to meet my brother who lived in Vegas, and he worked at one of those places that made the real long daiquiris, you know. Yeah. And I remember, uh, I just remember waking up the next day in a pile of vomit, you know. And the UFC been calling me all day. Where are you at? We need you to be here and do this and. Um, and I had to fight the next day, you know, and, uh, so, uh, it was, it was when I fought Patrick Cote, you know, and, and then I had to go, I had, I was, was completely hungover when, uh, when I had to cut weight and everything else, you know, which is not, uh, not good, not, not good at all. So I, going into the fight, I absolutely felt like garbage and it turned out to be a war too, you know, I was hoping to get it over with quick, but it, it turned out to be a, uh, you know, 15 minutes uh, slugfest. Yeah. That'll sober That's... up quick. <laughs> yeah. So, how your, your, your relationship with alcohol hasn't been good in the past, and there's been uh, some other substances as well, right? How are you doing now? I'm good. I'm good. I've, I've been sober for quite a long time now. Uh, I'm uh, extremely active in recovery, so... Um, I participate. I help other alcoholics out with uh, with their drinking and their their addiction issues. Um, I, I donate my time at rehab centers and 
you know, I've been, especially now, since we've been on quarantine, I haven't been at the gym. I've been able to actually get even more involved right now, you know, and it keeps me centered. It keeps me around people, like-minded people, I should say, you know, and, uh, you know, um, you're never, you're, you're never safe. You're never in the clear. So I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm safer in the clear, but, but I am going to say I'm very comfortable in my sobriety now and, uh, very secure with it. That's really good to hear. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's good. Chris. Like, I, I think a lot of people tell their story, and it's like a, it's a glamorous. It, it almost plays out like a movie. But what I appreciate about yours is, is it's honest and it's real. I think a lot of people can relate. You know, they have tough upbringings. And, and oh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, that's what I that's what I try to explain to people. You know, a lot of a lot of podcasts want me to excuse me. They want me to come on and tell these old, uh, you know, these and glorify these these drinking and alcohol stories, but listen man there's a lot of fucking pain there i wouldn't have been doing that stupid shit and going through that if i wasn't wasn't suffering on the inside you know you talked about the first season of the ultimate fighter and you know what uh, i wouldn't have been kicking down that door and punching through that window if you know i didn't have that pain uh you know about not having a father and and, and had been self-medicating with alcohol even though I didn't know it at the time, I didn't know that's what was going on and why I was so crazy. It took years for me to figure out. It wasn't honestly until after the Ultimate Fighter that I even started to uh, dabble with the thought that maybe I had a, a problem compared to other people. Mm. That's crazy. So, so now that you're you're in meetings and you're you're mentoring other people, what kind of message do you have for those maybe a little bit younger who are feeling a little bit lost? Um, but, hey, but, listen, man. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not a glorious thing, you know. I've I've uh, I've banged lines with playmates in the penthouse. I've smoked crack with bums, man. It, it. You know what? It's the same thing. Everybody's doing it for the same reason. It doesn't matter if you're drinking a fucking four locos or you got a two hundred dollar bottle of scotch. You know, you're drinking it for the same reason. Nothing makes it. There's nothing classy or glamorous about not being able to deal with life on your own without putting something in your body, hmm. you know? And, and that's what I try to tell them is, you know, maybe because I was, you know, it, and I tried to paint that picture in my younger years, you know, I was in the UFC, I was making a good amount of money that, you know, I was on, to, I was on top of my game, you know, and I, but I wasn't, I was, I was suffering and, and I was in pain. You know, and I needed, I really needed help, you know, even then. Um, and it just, it took, it took years for, um, for me to realize that, that I needed to reach out for that help, that I wasn't going to be able to cure myself. So, you know, like you said, you were, you were on, on, on top of the world. You were one of the, of the, the stars of, of the ultimate fight or the, being on, on the first one. And then a star of the, the UFC and the amount of, um, uh, you know, fight of the night bonuses and, and, and so on. What was it that, that that finally got you to realize that, hey, I'm, I'm not I'm not good? And even just talking to you now, you can just tell mentally you're in, in such a, in, in so much better of a place. What was it that finally, what the was the break, final score? The breaking point? Yeah, well, you know, again, um, there was a, you know, as the, the closer I got to the end, you know, there, there was, uh, 
you know, more and more pain, more suffering, more jail, more DUIs, uh, more stuff out in the in the press about you know how how much I'm fucking up, you know, living my life with, under a microscope. Basically, everybody commenting on everything I did. Um, that you know, it was something I wanted for a while, and I and I and I half-heartedly tried at it, you know. But but whenever the uh, the stress, the anxiety, the pain would get too much. I always went back to what worked, which was uh, substance abuse. You know, whether whether that was painkillers or, or alcohol or or whatever else. You know, um, I those work instantly. <laughs> the problem is they don't work permanently, but they definitely they definitely work for a limited time, and then it comes back. And when it comes back, it comes back even worse. You know, so so that being said. Um, I just got tired. I got beat up, man. I, I, you know, I, I went through a divorce. That was terrible. A lot of that was due to, uh, you know, my issues and her issues and not being able, you know, all, all those things. And then I, w- I kept ending up in jail. You know, I lost a couple jobs and, and then I even got to the point where the doctors told me, hey, man, if you drink anymore, you're going to die. You know, I tried to come back to, to sign a contract with Bellator, and they were doing my pre-fight medicals. I found out my, my, my ejection fraction was a 14, and I needed a new heart at the time. Um, you know, but you, you can't get on a heart transplant list because you're uh, – you got to be sober for a year before they even put you on the list. And the list is two years. You might, you're probably not going to make it is what they were telling me, you know? So I thought, well, you know, I'm going to, and even that didn't keep me sober. I, I mean, I got sober and then I relapsed and I got sober and relapsed again, you know, even, even the, the fear of dying, um, didn't, didn't do it. You know, it, it was really, uh, you know, Finally, it just had to be a point when I, when I was just like, you know, nev- never again, man. I just I can't go through this anymore. It's not worth. It's just it's not worth living. All the fun to, at the by the end, all the glamour, all the fun, anything that I could even try to pretend to be fun and exciting was uh, was gone, you know. And there, you know, there was just there was just nothing glamorous left. Nothing to enjoy just uh oblivion you know just just trying to, to to make the world fade away is all i was doing at the end there so yeah i i have i have to ask you when when you look at someone like john jones now and what he's going through do you see similarities in 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 your behavior and and what he's doing now i i, I mean yeah i do I do, and his is even, you know, he's obviously even on a greater scale. He's got a lot more money. He's a much bigger star, but uh, he's in pain. He's hurting, you know, and, and he's dealing with that, you know. And I can tell you, I can tell you one thing I know for sure is he doesn't enjoy his face being plastered all over the news for having got a DUI again, having done this again. He's not doing that stuff because he enjoys the, the negative press. He's doing that stuff because he can't not do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with with Bellator and uh, you, you had just signed the contract with them. You were about to fight. That's when you found out about your, your heart condition, right? Yes. Uh, and 
when I heard that, I, I, I thought, that's it. There's, it's ne- Chris is never going to fight again. But like Shane just said earlier, you went from playing to bare knuckle boxing. How? Yeah, so, you know, I, uh, yeah, and I mean, that's what my cardiologist said too, was you'll never fight again. As a matter of fact, at first, you know, I remember going in there and he's like, you walk, you, you were able to make it up the stairs to get in here? And I'm like, yeah, what are you talking about, man? I just got done training. I trained just in conditioning. Of course, I was turning pale and had to sit down, but I thought I was just getting old. I said, fuck, I'm out of shape, you know? Oh. Um, so I just kept trying to push, and I, you know, would throw up, and I would almost pass out. Um, fact of the matter is, I wasn't getting any oxygen because my heart wasn't pumping. But, uh, you know, so um, by changing, you know, uh, cutting out obviously drugs, alcohol, changing my diet, completely revamping my life, finding different reasons to uh, to be alive, finding different uh, avenues to to uh, find enjoyment. Um, you know, my 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 girl who's still my girl, who's my baby's mama. You know, her positive influence in my life. Um, and then also, you know, working here at at, at the, the arena, you know, and uh, finding a being at a gym finally where that's not what everybody did you know um i, I was able to uh, to cut it out and quit you know with with uh, a lot of works a lot a lot of a lot of one hour meetings and a, a lot of a lot of cups of coffee you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. um but uh you know ultimately my my heart went from uh 14% and then every six months I come in, you know, I came in six months later and she's like, wow, you know, it actually got better. You know, you just can't ever drink again and keep, you know, doing this. And, you know, I went back in and she goes, wow, you know, it's better. I tell you what, she goes, I don't think you even need a heart transplant this time. We just need to, uh, we need to get you in for a pacemaker, you know, so we're going to put this, uh, want to do the surgery and put this pacemaker in. And at this point I was still, um, on a no exercise whatsoever uh, routine, mandatory, no working out. Um, truth is, I never stopped training for a day. Mm. You know, since I've since I've been here, I've been training, doing jujitsu, doing something. You know, um, and and even then, you know, I, I just continue to train, and uh, you know, the, the so the doctor tells me, "Want to use pacemaker?" I say, "Well, can I can I do jujitsu if I get the pacemaker?" And she goes, "No, you can't do jujitsu with this." And I was like, well, I, I don't want it, you know. And she's like, well, I, I just got to let you know that, you know, there's a uh, there's like a 6% chance that you're going to die in the next year if you don't get this uh, this pacemaker they're put in. You know, your heart's going to stop when you're sleeping or whatever, you know. And I, and I thought about it. And I went home. I talked to my old lady. And I was like, you know what? That fucking 6% chance, that 6% of people are people that don't quit drinking. They're people that don't change their, their diet. They're people that, that aren't working out like me. They're not me, you know. So fuck it. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna roll the dice, you know. And, and I did. Then went back in, and eventually she said, "Wow, it's uh, it's even better. You're not gonna die. You can work out." So that's that's great, you know. And she said, "But you know, usually people that have this condition, you know, their heart will come up to a certain level, and it will kind of plateau off, you know." But I kept coming in, and mine kept getting better, you know. And she's like, "I don't know how you're doing it, you know. It's it's." You know, of course, she's amazed, you know, um, you know, and all I was doing again was, you know, c- you know, cut out the cut out the booze, cut out the cocaine and 
uh, my boss Lucas here uh, put me on a, uh, a supplement routine that actually he invented for his dog, which is pretty interesting. Um, but it was like like 25 different uh, like Chinese herbs, hawthorn, berry, cayenne, garlic. So we used to make these little shot glasses full of all these powdered, powdered herbs, you know. And I take those twice a day. And uh, to the point where my, my cardiologist was like, I've never seen anything like it. You know, this is this is incredible. You know, you're 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 in the you're in the safety zone now. You know, you're at the low end of what we would consider normal for a 40 year old male. You know, and I'm like, that's great. What I you know, could I fight? And eventually she said, yeah, you know, I would let you I would let you fight. There's no reason you're not at risk, you know, so. Um, you know, I, I, once I heard that, I was like, well, thinking about fighting, um, of course there wasn't any, uh, at this point there was no, uh, MMA organizations weren't exactly, you know, calling out for me, you know, after everything I'd been through, uh, you know, I was a big, a big risk. And then, uh, you know, um, I got, I got this call from Dave Feldman with, with the BKFC and, uh. You know, I, I watched it on YouTube. I was like, well, that kind of looks kind of looks right up my alley. Honestly, it's a small ring. Stand there and slug it out. Nobody can just try to hold me down, you know. Um, so, you know, I, uh, I, I said, you know what, I'm going to go for it, you know. Ultimately, my first fight wasn't with them. I went with another organization that promised me a bunch more money. You know, of course, uh, we won't, we won't say the name and we won't say who the president was. I'm sure you guys, well, the one that boss Root was the president of, and, you know, ended up uh, not paying any of the athletes, you know, so that was a little bit of a bummer. But what I did was I, you know, I, I made, I made a comeback and, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, won that first fight by knockout. How long of a period is this, Chris, from when Bellator says you can't fight for us because you have heart conditions to you taking your first fight? Bare knuckle. Uh, it was like probably like three and a half or four years. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah, because that was when I I, I was already here at the arena before I ever tried to fight for uh, Bellator. It was like right when I got here, I think. So, so how do you change? Train? How do you train for bare knuckle boxing? Like I get it, you know, MMA. It's it's a small glove, but how do you train? How do you spar for a fight? With well, I mean, you're you're a martial artist. I'm sure you can guess. You can't just spar hard with no gloves. I mean, right. that's that's not a possibility. You know, um, a lot of people ask me all this bullshit about you know conditioning your knuckles and this and that, and I I believe most of that's bullshit too. I break my hand every time I fight with the glove on. You know, so um, the best thing you can do is uh, uh, you know train as hard as you can. You know, I don't do. Um, a ton of hard sparring now that I'm older, a lot with my, a lot with my coaches, a lot of mitts, uh, a lot of footwork, a lot of fine tuning on the skills, um, a lot of hitting, I'll hit pads with just hand wraps on, you know what I mean? I'm just kind of getting the, the hands used to it and really, really not for conditioning the hands, but for calibrating the knuckles, hmm. you know, because it, it is quite a difference, you know, hitting with, uh, from a 16 to a four. I'm sure you're familiar with the difference between those two gloves, right? Well, the difference from a four-ounce glove to nothing is, is even bigger, you know, so that that, that one that extra one inch of range you used to have, you don't have anymore. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and, and you can't hit, you got to hit with those two big knuckles. So um, we focus a lot on, on calibrating the, the striking, you know, and then, you know, obviously for, for hard rounds, it's uh, 16 ounce gloves, you know, and then you just have to, you have to try to train like you're not wearing 16 ounce gloves. And what I mean by that is this shit doesn't work. There's no riding punches in bare knuckle. You know what I'm saying? You need to, you need to catch everything. Things are going to slide through, you know? So, so you really got to try to pick everything out of the air. Oh, so then you went on from here, you took Herb Dean's refereeing course, and now you're refing? Uh, yeah, yeah. I actually I actually did that before I bought. I, I, I took uh, took Herb Dean's course and then, uh, you know, passed that. And for anybody that's going to take that, that wants to take the refereeing course, you better know your jiu-jitsu. You better know your MMA. And, uh, and don't think it's a walk in the park because that, that course is extremely difficult even for uh, me who's been fighting for 20 years, you know. Um, but uh, ultimately, uh, I did pass. I think I may have been the only one in my group that passed, maybe one other guy. But uh, both Herb Dean and Big John's courses are extremely hard, and the, the average person doesn't uh, does not does not pass. They'll get a, a certificate of completion, but uh, they don't pass. Ultimately, I, I, I however did did pass, and then um, I started working for uh, Camo, which is the California Amateur Martial Arts Organization. So, and the, I've been with them uh, almost two and a half or three years now. Obviously not right now, but generally two or three weekends a month, I'm somewhere in California refereeing fights. Nice, dude. And from from being inside of of a a cage with a referee, has your perspective on refereeing or the third man in the inside of the ring or the cage has it changed becoming a ref? Uh, part of the reason I asked you, Shane said he said this ref gone. Ref's got the best seat in the house, and and are you able to enjoy the fight? You're obviously a huge fan of martial arts. Is it is it possible to enjoy a fight when you're working it? I don't think so. I mean, I don't I don't think in that manner. I think afterward you can sit down and go, "Whoa, that was a crazy fight." You know what I mean? That was gnarly. But uh, during in it, you know, the, the tunnel vision and the focus, you know, the number one um, objective for a referee is fighter safety, you know, and obviously, you know, you have to be non-biased just so you can't get excited when somebody gets hurt or get aroused. You have to keep those emotions uh, uh, repressed. And there's a, there's a level of calm intensity, you know, when you're refereeing where you have to stay stay focused no matter no matter what no matter when it's getting when it's getting close to the end of a fight and you know it's one punch away from somebody getting hurt bad you know or it's one punch away from a knockout but two punches away from somebody getting hurt bad you've got to be intensely focused and ready to make that that call at the right time because ultimately you know there's only one winner there's only one loser. Somebody's going to be not happy with what you do. But, you know, ultimately, your job as a referee is to make sure that, that when those fighters leave that cage, that they're, they're still safe. And that doesn't always happen. You know, but you try your hardest to uh, give them every shot, give them every chance in the world, but don't let them get injured. 
you know, and and when when that's your focus, then you uh, you you know, for me, uh, it's such a heightened awareness that that, that it's it's. Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't say I'm able to uh, enjoy the bike in that manner. Hmm. That's a good answer. I can see why you passed, Chris. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Um, you had a son in 2017. Yes. Uh, having a child, becoming a father, did, did that change you at all? It really did. It, 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 it really has. I mean, um, you know, everybody says, you know, my, having a kid is the most amazing thing. But for me, it, it, it really, it's fucking magical. You know, um, you know, I was, I was there when he was born. I thought it was going to be gross. And, and when you know that that's yours coming out, you always like right up in there. Like I cut the umbilical cord, you know, held him right up, right out the gate. And, uh, you know, and, and, and now he's, you know, obviously he's my best friend. He's two and a half years old, you know, um, he's just wild and crazy, you know, and, you know, I learned more about myself having a kid than I, than I, than I ever learned in years growing up, you know, and I really, you know, in hindsight, I realized how bad I had it as a kid. And I never really realized it because of the love that I gave for my child, you know, and, and I want so much for him. I want him to have so much more opportunity than, uh, than, than I had, you know, and so I work hard for that, you know, and I strive towards that. And um, from, from that manner, it, it drives me, you know, it, it's a huge, he's a huge motivating, uh, factor in, in my life is, is wanting to be uh successful and uh, uh somebody that he can look up to and somebody that can uh, lead him in the right direction are you going to get him into martial arts yeah yeah he's got a cu- couple months he starts jujitsu oh, nice. so they right right next door is uh solo in the university of jujitsu uh they start him at three but uh, Solo City make an exception for Liam, so uh, he'll be he'll be he'll be in there shortly. We just got to finish up, and get the last bit of potty training done. <laughs> That's great. What if what if he tells you in a couple uh, years he wants to fight? Are you are you going to support him if he wants to be a fighter? Well, my my thing my thing is you know he's whether whether he wants to fight or not he's going to do. I believe he's going to do martial arts and it'll be good for him. Um, um, I'd rather him, you know, go to school and, and focus on a career because uh, obviously I think I think all of us know how difficult a life in martial arts can actually be. Yeah. Uh, talk about putting all your eggs in one basket, you know. Um, I want him to have a couple baskets, you know. Uh, um, but but that being said, if, if he wants to fight, then I think uh, – you know, I will support him whatever he wants to do. Um, you know, however, growing up, I, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, you let the kids get in and train boxing and, and spar and fight with each other until they're about 12 or 13. And then uh, I like the idea of pulling the kids from hard sparring until they're uh, at least 18 again. Hmm. You know, because uh, just from what I've seen over the years, and my coach Matt Hume was a firm believer in this philosophy, you know, once kids hit 14, 15, their brains are still developing. And, uh, you know, if they've been training for a few years, they hit real fucking hard already. Mm-hmm. So, you know, get hit hard when your brain's still developing. That's not something I'm too big on. So, 
Um, you know, I'll, I'll definitely let him get in and mix it up, you know, when he's, when he's young. But then uh, as he hits his teenage years, he's going to have to wait until he's 18, um, at least while he's living under my roof. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> interesting. I've never heard that. I mean, obviously, like, avoid um, heavy contact to the head. But wouldn't you worry that, like, if he decides to get in at 18 that he'd be at a disadvantage because other kids his age were, were sparring that hard the whole time? Or would you, would, would well, you... I'm not saying stop. I'm not saying stop. And I, I think probably one of the biggest mistakes a lot of uh, MMA fighters make and martial artists make is they try to move up too quick. You know, the guys I've seen that, that haven't been in a rush, that have taken their time, have, have always been able to stay there when they got up to that higher level. Mm. You know, so that being said, 18 is not that old. You know, especially if he's been training, you know, um, all the way up till he's 12. And then he was still in the gym with, with, with light sparring, working pads, working footwork, doing jujitsu, you know, but just not uh, taking those those boxing matches and smokers and, right. and whatnot. I like that. I like that a lot. Good advice. Um, we, we're jumping a little bit. It's just so much to talk to you about because you've done so much, you've experienced so much. I want to ask you about, you refed on uh, the Tito Ortiz, Chuck Liddell, Golden Boy card. That only happened once after yes. nothing to do any more MMA. Yes. That was your biggest stage till date as far as a referee, right? Yeah, that was a great one. And I think I actually I was able to work as an inspector afterward during the, the pro portion and uh, inspect uh, you know Chuck and Tito as they entered the uh, the uh, the ring, you know. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, you know, that was nice, and uh, Camel right now is uh, starting to put me on more of those, you know, because ultimately my goal is to go uh, pro here in California as a referee. Um, that fight was interesting because, like King of the Cage and some other uh, shows you see, it was a pro-am card. So not only was there, there are amateur fights, but there's pro fights. We had, we had three amateur state titles. Um, on on that card, and uh, I refed one of those along with a couple other fights, judged the amateur fights, and then uh, I was able to work for CSAC as an inspector for for that uh, for that last portion of the show. What was it like to watch? Chuck was one of the coaches for for you when you did the Ultimate Fighter, and yeah, and and, 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 and Tito. What was it like to to see? I, I would have can only presume is the very last fight that we'll see probably either one in at least at least chuck right um, yeah. what was it like <clears throat> well you know gr growing up you know and, and my, my coach was randy tour you know and and randy and chuck fought a couple times randy and tito fought a couple times so that that rivalry behind that whole generation uh that was before me was uh you know something that definitely uh I, I, you know, I was, I was a spectator then, so I was tuning in all that, you know, I watched, I watched all those fights and all those rivalries and, you know, Chuck had beat Tito twice going into that third, that third fight, you know, and then he took seven years off and Tito did, Tito was active in Bellator, was training hard. And, you know, when you, when you watch the fight, unfortunately, as much as I love Chuck, it looked like he took seven years off. You know, that was not the same Chuck Liddell that Tito fought previously, you know, and I thought I, I, I won't, you know, bad taste, whatever you want to say, but I, I you know, 
almost like Tito acted like he was vindicated for those first two losses because he beat Chuck, you know, in the third one. But it was like, you know, uh, was that the same Chuck Liddell? I don't know. I don't know. Tito, to his credit, looked great. Um, you know, of course, he, he's been active. He, he looked great. Chuck uh, Chuck didn't didn't look great. And uh, you know what? I If I told you it was, uh, was, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't hard to watch. Did you speak with Chuck afterwards? Uh, no. Mm. No, I did not. And from from that first Ultimate Fight, we had Kenny Florian on here once, and um, from that alumni, from that group, and and you trained on with with Randy at uh, Team Quest back in the days, right? If I remember wrong. Yeah. Um, are you in contact with any of the guys still? Um, from the from the Ultimate Fighter. Exclusive on our podcast. Yeah. Right? See, this is exactly what I was talking about earlier <laughs> when I said all those podcasts want me to come on and tell these drunkalogs about, you know, uh, glorified stories about getting loaded. Um, honestly, yes, there is. You know, there's some stuff that didn't make it in the book. Uh, am I going to share it with you right now? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not, because uh, okay. because again, those uh, those those stories are, are a thing of the past for me. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a, that's another lifetime ago, and it's uh, nothing I want to uh, glorify. That's that's a good that's message, and that's that's what we re- really try to push here is is the you know the the discipline, the respect side of martial arts, and not so much the uh, the street fighting, the, the brute, and all that. Right. So I, I appreciate that honestly. Well, thank you. Thank you. You know, and, and I think, you know, that's one thing about martial arts is, is, you know, I've never had a kid come in, you know, the gym and then start street fighting a bunch. I've had a lot of kids with problems come in. I've had a lot of parents tell me, uh, you know, I'm really worried. I mean, he's already fighting at school, you know, and, you know, but it's funny because once a kid learns that they are tough, they don't have to prove it anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and definitely in my case, 
um, there's not a lot of uh, fighting stories in my book, you know. Um, that wasn't ever my thing, you know. Growing up, I got in a lot of fights. Growing up, I got I got bullied and everything else. Um, then I had to make myself tough, you know, and uh, and, I, and I did. And once I accomplished that, you know, I, I didn't have to prove it anymore. And I carried myself in a manner that uh, people didn't try to start fights with me, um, you know. I would always jokingly say the only thing faster than my hands is my mouth. Um, but in a lot of ways, it's, in a lot of ways, it was true. You know, once you, you know, and, and definitely in my case, I wish I could say the same with drugs and alcohol. That's not. <laughs> I learned how to fight, and I still kept doing drugs and alcohol. But I definitely was not a, a street fighter in any way. That's good to hear. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I wouldn't have thought so, but it makes me happy to hear that that you won't. Well, let, me, let me ask you this. Whoever hit you the hardest, whoever hit you in a fight between bare knuckle boxing, UFC, MMA boxing that you fought, whoever hit you and you go, I've never been hit like that before. You know, there's there's two two guys that, that you know, and one of them, believe it or not, was that last fight I had against Dakota Cochran. That kid threw everything into those shots. Uh, everything when he hit me. And... Uh, and he hit, he hit like a truck, you know. And you know, I remember thinking like, how much is this? Is not from the gloves, from him not having any gloves? No, I think this kid just hits like a fucking truck, you know. Um, and the other one, obviously, was Terry Martin, you know. Uh, uh, but but both those guys, if you look at the way they're built, they're built for power. They're not built for speed. They're not built for you know ten punch combos. They're not built for length. They're, they're built to hit real freaking hard. You know, you know, it's funny. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm at uh, our gym, which is closed now, obviously because of the coronavirus. Right. But as I'm talking, one of our instructors who came to pick something up, he walked by. He was also in the UFC, and he also fought Dakota Cochran. And he stopped and and looked over here to to see who was talking, and uh, uh, kind of nodded. So it was funny to hear. Oh. That. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the guy, the guy, the guy knows how to throw. He throws an open knee overhand. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Speak, um, speaking of the virus, oh, go ahead. So I was just gonna ask, with with these crazy times with the coronavirus going on, we have we haven't really touched on it, uh, but it's it's unprecedented. It's never happened in human history. How are you dealing with it? Well, man, it's pretty lame to be honest with you. You know, uh, life is, life is, uh, I'm, I'm so used to just going and running and, and, and not having enough time to sleep and having to be here and then be there and just not having the hours in the day that, that now, I mean, shit, man, there's nothing that needs to be hung up. There's nothing that needs to be fixed at my house. My freaking dishes are done. The carpet's clean. You know what I mean? My old lady, I love her, love her to death, but you know, she's fine to sit on the couch for five hours and watch fucking shows about vampires. You know, I can't, I can't do that. You know, I'm taking the kid for a walk around the block, like half a dozen times a day. We walk every freaking direction, you know, every direction that we don't have to walk by a park. So I don't have to tell him he can't go there, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, so it, it is trying to, trying to find ways to, uh, stay busy and stay productive. Um, have been uh, have been a little bit challenging, 
you know. But uh, but I understand, man. I understand that the the social distancing. I understand that there's a lot of people out here who weren't blessed with the the health that that, that me and my family have, and maybe have are old or have autoimmune issues. And you know, I certainly don't want to pass that on to anybody else. You know, especially you know my. My girl, she's a caretaker for an old lady, and, you know, it, it would be terrible if, you know, I was sneaking into jujitsu and then I brought it home or something like that. So, it, it, you know, we, we, you know, we got to play our part. I understand that. Um, but I sure just hope, I, I hope, I hope we, we beat this thing in quickly. So how do you, how do you feel then, Chris, with uh, Dana trying to put on UFC fights, pump them out from this private on island? On an island? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did I see something on my YouTube feed yesterday about him trying to get an island? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said a private island that? off the West Coast. And they're just going to start holding events there every week. I didn't, I didn't watch the whole video, but I was like, leave it to David. Fuck it. We'll buy our own island. <laughs> um, you know, I I think everybody has, has to do their part, you know, and, and I think that uh, if none of the other sporting organizations are – are doing it, then, you know, the respectable thing to do is, is to, uh, to, to get in line and follow suit, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I get it. We all want to make money. You know, we all want to watch fights. I want to work. I want to referee. I want to coach, you know, but, uh, you know, I, and, and ultimately I think because of that, you know, Daniel will do as much as he can get away with, with before, without getting too much negative press. So, um, whether or not it'll actually happen is a is a different story because I think uh, I think there would be a lot of outrage if it did. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I I I could talk to you for forever, Chris, but uh, and and I, I know you have a family to be with as well. <laughs> um, we usually we usually uh, ask people that come on here. To give an advice to the listeners, and you've given a lot of advice today, but you've you lived a life, that's for sure. You lived nine lives. Um, so what, what would you recommend someone that is listening in and tuning in to, to hear Chris Lieben? Well, what I mean, the, the, you know what, there's a, uh, life is long. You're going to go through a lot of ups and downs, so... Whether uh, whether you're on a high right now or you're on a low right now, don't worry. I assure you, it's going to pass, you know. And in 10 years, if you stay the course, one thing's for sure. In 10 years, you'll be 10 years older. You could be 10 years older and uh, a brown belt in jiu-jitsu, or you could be 10 years older and still a white belt, you know, And if, if jiu-jitsu is your thing. Now, if school is your thing then that's your thing too you know but whatever it is just just get in there and do it quit putting it off because you're only getting older you know might as well get it done now good advice love that thank you chris thank you man you're a professional experienced as it was really was nice nice hearing from you and uh, and finally connecting with you so thank you man i really appreciate it Nice. Thank, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. And uh, I just if anybody, you know, they want to, they can follow me, uh, Chris Levin MMA on uh, Instagram, you know, and then uh, 
check out the arena. Just Google us. We have a huge website. So if anybody is interested in training in San Diego or private lessons, uh, feel free to reach out to the gym, man. And we'd love to get you in here. And thank you guys again for having me. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Chris. And I would really recommend people to pick up the book, The Crippler, um, yeah. as well. It's a, it's a great read. And, uh, I know you're not doing positive. nothing right now, people, so <laughs> <laughs> get on Amazon. They'll deliver it. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Chris. Cool. All right, guys. All right, thanks, guys. I'll see you. Take care. Yep. Bye.